There we go. Here's the topic, ETs and religion, how the belief in extraterrestrial life has influenced religions and spawned cults. And uh, of course, if you have questions, those of you who are joining live, uh, let me know and I will address those. Uh, but we have a lot to go over here. The reason I decided to do this was... Well, I've been doing this talk for a long time now, probably six or seven years. Although when we go through it, I think you'll notice how and why it's timely for what's going on uh, in today's world. The other thing is, you know, I know a lot of you are people who have been into this topic for quite some time. Um, some of you may have only just got into this. In fact, just yesterday, three years ago, yesterday, um, you know, the New York Times released an article revealing that the Pentagon had a UFO uh, organization, you know, a group uh, looking into UFOs. Uh, we know this from the guy running the group. It was called ATIP, the Advanced Aerospace Weapons uh, Application Program. The guy running the program, Luis Elizondo, came out and uh, he retired and came out and told the world. Uh, actually, in October of 2017, New York Times did the article kind of giving us background on in December. And the last year, three years has been crazy. Um, you know, the last three years has been, uh, you know, I got to change this too. Someone is asking, uh, no, Martin, today, this is actually a Rojas report today. Um, so, you know, normally I do interviews. There we go. Now we're in Rojas reports mode. Uh, but tomorrow I'll have the podcast so you can, can join in. Martin Willis, who joins me with the podcast, will be here tomorrow. But getting back to it, you know, a lot of people I think right now are dealing with this news. We've got, you know, some rolling news over the last three years that are updating us on the situation with the Pentagon, you know, um, investigating this topic. And the news has only gotten more and more juicy and better and more credible about this topic. You know, the Navy came out and admitted they do investigate UAPs. That's what they call them, unidentified aerial phenomena, UAP, which is a UFO, um, that they've had some situations that uh, they believe are unidentified. They don't know what they are. Uh, then it came out that, you know, um, the, there were people in the Senate and in the military getting briefed about all of this and what Elizondo had worked on in these cases, including this USS Nimitz case that was in that New York Times article. And then we found out that, you know, the Senate Intelligence Committee was interested in this topic and that they are taking it seriously. And more recently, we found that, uh, you know, there is this UAP task force that has been created. Uh, it looks to be, although the DOD won't confirm this, it looks to be uh, a continuation of the ATIP program that's now evolved into this more robust program. Uh, there is news that it is more robust, but there are also people that I'm hearing from that are saying it's not robust enough to really do anything and be effective, but we'll see. Uh, and then the most recent news is that this UAP task force has uh, shared with the intelligence community community a couple of reports and that uh, there were cases in these reports that they were baffled by, um, which included images, which we haven't seen, taken by pilots, jet fighter pilots with their cell phones, which is just kind of funny 
you know, to think of a jet fighter pilot doing a training and he's like, oh, let me get a picture of that. That's pretty cool. You know, bringing out his cell phone. But that's what apparently has happened. Um, one of those pictures that is not that Im uh, impressive was re uh, released. However, there's supposedly a second photo uh, taken from the cockpit of this F-18 that is actually more convincing uh, and uh, of a triangular craft, much like what people talk about, triangle with lights on three ends, uh, on the three edges. There. So you can look at me while I do my intro, I guess. So that's what's going on, you know, and so is the public paying attention? Mainstream media hasn't covered a lot. There's a couple outlets. Uh, the Drive has uh, a section called The War Zone. They're covering it. Really interesting. Uh, on the uh, Also, Politico has been covering it. Um, Fox News has been covering it. Uh, and uh, I don't think they've, to be honest, I don't know that their coverage has been as impressive to me as like Politico and the drive, because uh, Politico of course looks at it from a policy angle, diving into what do, what do Congress people know? What have they said? What is the Congress up to on this? And then the drive looking at this from um, a defense aerospace defense perspective, what are these things? How could they be uh, not ours? They've got to be ours at the same time, the technology that they exhibit allegedly from these Navy witnesses, um, you know, exhibits a technology that is way beyond what we would have or anybody else would have. So, you know, everybody's really baffled about what might be going on. And the public is getting this. They're listening. You know, we're seeing this coverage. And we've always seen that when mainstream covers this topic, people watch. Uh, and never has there been, you know, uh, information to share that is as credible as, as what we're seeing right now. Um, I mean, some of us would argue that, yeah, there has been credible information out there. Uh, that's why we got into this, uh, why we wanted to share information about this. But um, it, it's information that, you know, finally the mainstream and everybody is taking more seriously. I mean, so serious that the Navy's come out and said, there's a real thing here. So really interesting stuff. A couple comments uh, from the chat that have gone on. Uh, when did the jet fighters have selfie sticks? No, it didn't look like it. It was just uh, like them, you know. I, I kind of picture somebody like the the navigator. We did get a picture. It looks like a Batman balloon. Somebody mentioned this was the not as uh, surprising photo, uh, which uh, and so and we haven't seen the real exciting triangular photo. But I just picture you know the pilot kind of. UFO flying this jet around like that. Uh, I'm sure it didn't happen that way, but that's what happens in my brain because that's me while I'm driving back and forth from California and Arizona. Mm, pretty. But anyway, let's get into it. So this is some really good information, I think. Uh, what inspired me to do this uh, article and... Uh, was actually Angela Rayo, who was the uh, one of the editor-in-chiefs at Open Minds Magazine. Um, she thought it would be a good idea. I also had been thinking about it because I interviewed and covered the story of this author who wrote a book uh, about ghosts, about his ho house being haunted. Big deal, right? But here was the angle of his book. He was an editor for a publisher, um, that published religious books, Christian books. And, uh, you know, he moved into his parents' house 
that his mom had said was haunted. Um, and he thought that the family always made fun of their mom. They were like, that's ridiculous. His parents pass away. He buys the house. He moves in. Lo and behold, he says, stuff started happening and he started to believe his house was haunted. But the question that he had as a religious person, am I supposed to believe in ghosts? I thought I wasn't supposed to. He resisted. Part of the reason he resisted the, resisted the idea about the ghosts is that he felt he wasn't supposed to believe in ghosts. Uh, but this book was about his exploration where he asked priests and others about the whole idea of ghosts. And he was surprised that the ghosts were saying, hey, um, these are, you know, in the Bible. You totally can believe in ghosts. We, in fact, we encourage the belief uh, of ghosts. And um, so it changed his whole perspective. And he wanted to share that. Hey, fellow Christians, uh, if you don't think uh, there are, um, uh, if you don't think you can believe in UFOs or I mean ghosts, you're wrong. It's okay. So that was kind of the nature I took this article uh, as because, or this article, which then I turned into a lecture, because I know there's a lot of people out there and you may be one of them who also wonders, am I supposed to believe in UFOs and aliens? Does this go against my religion? Uh, for the most part, vast majority the answer is no and i'm going to prove that to you and that's the whole point behind this lecture so let's get into it et's in religion how the belief in extraterrestrial life has influenced religion and spawned cults all right so here is an image of a 14th century fresco of the madonna and a child that is depicting uh on the top right left side an image of a ufo hovering in the distance uh and i you know when i use that term ufo unidentified this certainly could have been anything uh i have not this picture i share because a lot of the other pictures people say ha, show ufos uh in the paintings you know historians uh have uh, have been able to say no uh this is what this object represented as far as i know i don't know any real historian that has come and said hey this is what's in this painting i don't know what they're trying to depict here in fact if you look right here let's see if i can get my mouse no i can't but you see in the right hand side there's actually a guy in the picture with his dog and they're both looking up at the object there so it's kind of funny but the painting is called the Madonna with St. Giovannino. It was painted in the 15th century by Domenico uh, Ghirlandaio. Pretty good, huh? It sounds better when you put in the accent. I can even kind of fluff it there by pretending an accent. Um, he uh, lived from 1449 to 1494. It hangs as part of the Loser collection in the Palizio Vecchio, uh, the town hall in Florence, Italy. I've got to go get a picture of that. Above Mary's right shoulder is a disc-shaped object. Below it uh, is a blow-up of this section, and you can see a man and his dog clearly looking at the object. Why do I share this? Just for the heck of it. It's just, you know, an intro into this section. But first, let's look at the, um, like I said here, ETs and old-time religions. So these are the religions that have been around a while. What do they think of aliens? First, uh, Judaism. And uh, let's see. 
In Judaism, there's uh, the book of Judges, uh, 523 says Deborah. The f- and, and, you know, when I looked this up, this was actually looking up um, just this topic. Uh, really, people mentioning aliens um, in respect to their religions or even being asked, are, do you all believe in aliens? Why would they be asked? For the most part, it's because of SETI. You know, of course, we're interested in UFOs. There's the ancient aliens thing. But the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, the acronym SETI, is an effort. Um, it's mostly when you see in the news, you see Seth Shostak or Dr. Frank Drake or Jill Tarter, Dr. Jill Tarter, all of whom have worked with the SETI Institute, which is an institute that kind of made this all famous. And they're the ones who have the big telescopes and stuff. Well, they've really brought up this topic of, uh, you know, you religions are going to freak out when we find aliens. Um, and the religions have kind of had to uh, respond Um, And in this case, you know, some have, and there's been books uh, in particular, um, a Vanderbilt University astronomer, and we'll refer to his book. Now, I wrote this um, talk before this book came out. That's why I don't have a picture of it. But his book, it's written by David Weintraub uh, and an astronomer at Vanderbilt University. His book is called Religions and Extraterrestrial Life. How will we deal with it? exactly what this lecture is about. So I, I, some of this comes from that book that I've added from the book, but others, uh, as I'll review, comes from other places. But essentially, in Deborah's song, um, she talks about the victory of Barak over Sisera. And in her song, she says, Cursed be Marizol. Cursed, cursed be its inhabitants, say the angel of God. Um, and supposedly, the Talmud says that Meraz is a star or a planet. And these heavenly bodies allegedly fought, and this is according to general, uh, according to some of the scholars, that this uh, was some kind of epic battles of the heavens among the stars, and that uh, they had called the people of Meraz to come help them in their battle, but they didn't, and so they were penalized for not helping in this heavenly battle. Um, so uh, people often reference that as a reference to other civilizations being out there. Um, more specifically though, Lubavitcher Rebbe, a prominent Hasidic, uh, rabbi, he was asked this question once. Um, and I think it was in context. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Velvi Green, a biologist who was working with NASA on their project to determine if there was life on Mars, he asked uh, the rabbi, you know, should I, as a, as a Jewish person, should I be doing this? Is this okay? Should I be looking for alien life? Am I like breaking rules by doing this? And what Dr. Uh, what Lubavitcher, who is a well-known um, person who, you know, uh, a well-known rabbi, he says, Dr. Green, look for life on Mars. And if you don't find it there, look somewhere else in the universe for it. Because for you to sit here and say there is no life outside of planet Earth is to put limitations on the creator. And that is not something any of his creatures can do. And that's kind of generally, I think, what people feel like. They feel like, hey, um, yeah, I believe in God. But why wouldn't I believe in aliens? If he created life here, he could create life elsewhere. Um, And that's the theme here. So 
Judaism. So, okay, so you Jewish folks out there, hey, it's okay. You can believe in aliens. Next, Islam. Are you a Muslim person? Can you believe in aliens? Well, guess. Of course you can. And here's here's what is often referenced in, in this case. Um, and this is... Uh, an is Islamic scholar um, who looked into the Quran has wrote uh, about in this particular passage, among his signs is the creation of the heaven and the earth and whatever living creatures he has spread forth in both. He has the power to gather them together when he will so please. Um, in the parentheses there, you see the ba. And that is the exact word that is used in the Quran. And it means, you know, essentially all living creatures. So here is uh, something that is often referenced as a, a demonstration that, you know, also in the Quran, they talk about life in other places. In fact, uh, here, uh, one of the most popular translations of the Quran into English was by this gentleman here, Um Abdar al Arabiya, and I'm gonna. I'm sorry if I'm, you know, murdering these names. I'm doing my best, man. But he says it's reasonable to suppose that life in some form or another is scattered through some of the millions of heavenly bodies and scattered through space. Um, and this is, yeah, like I said, one of the most popular, uh, most important people to ever translate the Quran into English. Um, he's kind of the authority, and that's why they asked him, hey. Does uh, the Quran say this? Weintraub, who I mentioned earlier, who wrote that book, he says, there are many pieces of text in the Quran that assert in no uncertain terms that rational, intelligent beings exist on other worlds. So I think Islam would have absolutely no problem with it. Boom, two down. Jewish people, Islam people, uh, Muslims, you're, you're cool. Um, so now let's look at Eastern religions. Of course, I'm skipping probably the biggest religion, um, the Christians. When we're going to get there, I kind of wrap it up because that's kind of a bigger nut to crack, as you'll see in just a little bit here. But let's look at the Eastern religions real quick. Um, first, we have Buddhism. In Buddhism, and uh, this is, again, from uh, different texts or different um, academic pieces of work that kind of look into this. Uh, you know what? I should have put a source here. Um, I do have an article that you can now find online um, about all this that also has links to the sources. But in the Akari Abhuta Dhamma Sutta, the Buddha speaks of the black gloomy regions of darkness between the world systems where the light of our moon and sun, powerful and majestic though they are, cannot reach, or what we call intergalactic space. Then he says there are beings there. Um, I have the reference here, M.3124-5. I have no idea what that's referencing. Unfortunately, I didn't put it in my notes here. Uh, I should have. But uh, you could look that up. Uh, but the Buddha taught that there are innumerable beings in the universe. The plane of humans includes any intelligent species on any planet capable of insight that comes from the dharma encyclopedia adapted from the complete book of buddhist lists uh 
and that was uh, explained. This statement was from David Snyder, a PhD in 2006. And it's important to note that this complete book of Buddha's list is like an authoritative reference. So it is not some obscure, just one man's opinion. This is actually a, uh, a document that is referenced often to understand Buddhism and uh, Buddhism belief. So I didn't pull that just out of anywhere, people. See if we have any questions. Hope we find out one day. People are just kind of talking about Enceladus being inhabited. Um, what are my thoughts of UFOs being angels or demons? Somebody is asking. Glad you asked. We're going to get into that in just a little bit here. All right, but let's move on. Another large Eastern religion, that's Hinduism. Hinduism, yet again, has some passages that we could refer to. Um, in the Brahma Vyachk Purana, that's exactly how that's pronounced. Um, it says, hold, I have spoken only of those worlds within this universe, but consider the myriad of universes that coexist side by side, each with this Indra and Brahma and each with its evolving and dissolving worlds. Can you presume to know them, count them, or fathom the reaches of all those universes with their multitudes of worlds, each with its legions of transmigrating inhabitants? So here we have references, you know. Um, this is something, I guess, that was said by the god Indra, which is the most powerful um, person in Hindu mythology. Uh, here's another one from the University of Antarctica, uh, Aliens in Astrobiology, uh, an article. And it says, according to Hindu scriptures, there are innumerable universes created by the supreme personality of Godhead to facilitate the fulfillment of the separate desires of innumerable living entities. Wow. So here we go. Obviously, it's something built into Hinduism as well. Uh, what about Native American beliefs? Here we see lots of kachinas. So those of you who are familiar with Native American culture, which is just about anybody, even though I know we have people from all over the world watching right now, uh, I'm sure you're all familiar with kachinas. If you're not, let me know. But this in particular is a good friend of mine, uh, Clifford Mahoudi, lives out here in Arizona. Um, he says... He's part of, uh, he, he's a Hopi elder, or a Zuni elder, I'm sorry, it says here. Um, he's part of the Kachina Society. So in other words, uh, you know, this is a group that were, they're all about Kachinas. They're the, the elders who um, kind of translate and are in charge of the Kachinas, essentially. And he says what he shared here is information that, that his people don't like to share, but he feels it's important for the white people to know. Um, but he says the Kachinas depict star people. Uh, so he says the star people, their belief is that the star people brought humans to this planet. They taught us how to survive. Uh, they looked different from us because they're from many different worlds. And UFOs are star people coming here to check up on us. He tells kind of an interesting creation or story about how the star people brought us here, showed us how to live, and left. And the people were like, hey, we're bored. This is, you know, where's our star pe people buddies? So they come 
and they come back sometimes and they dance with the people they kind of have a party and they dance. And so you'll notice that in the, in the native American culture, they often don these masks that you see on the kachinas and they do dances. And that's supposedly what they represent according to Clifford Mahuti. Um, but he's not the only one you hear. There's other people writing about and talking about star people. One of those being Artie six killer Clark who has a book on this and she um, essentially says there are similar beliefs among native Mesoamericans um, natives, you know, in like central and uh, Southern America. And actually that's where a lot of my DNA comes from. Essentially I found out not too long ago. So it's in my DNA dudes to star people. So even the native Americans are cool. They're, they're down with it. And actually, the Native Americans talk about it quite a bit. Being out here in Arizona, I'm from Colorado, spent a lot of time in California, all of which you may not be aware. Uh, and my mom lived in New Mexico for 13 years. All of these have a lot of very large um, um, Native American uh, populations or tribes um, or reservations. And so it's big in the culture out in the Southwest. So we used to go to... Uh, I used to go to the powwows, big powwows every year. And there is a lot of talk about star people among uh, many of the different tribes. Let's see. Don't forget the Dogons. I'm not really going to go over the Dogons, but because um, I'm being very general here. And you'll see because we've got a lot to get into. So now UFOs and modern religions. What's a modern religion? I would say, you know, a religion that is newer, um, essentially. Uh, it's still, you know, uh, big, obviously, something that is institutional. Um, you know, also in the Southwest, we have a lot of Latter-day Saints, a lot of Mormons. Um, at, right here in Arizona, we have these stakes, you know, these Mormon kind of uh, recreational facility type of things where they gather to do different stuff all over the place. Colorado, San Diego, not too far from where I live. They have a giant temple all over. Some of my good friends, Ben Hansen, Travis Walton, um, Mary, Marianne uh, Hain. Uh, you know, a lot of my good friends that hope maybe you recognize some of these names are, are Mormon also. So it's a big, big deal out here. A lot of Mormons. Um, they, this is from Hollis Johnson in the Encyclopedia of Mormonism at Brigham Young University. This encyclopedia, again, is one of these documents that is essentially, you know, the reference material for be the belief systems of the Mormon people. In there, uh, Mr. Johnson says, Latter-day Saints believe that there are now countless planets whose inhabitants, children of God, are progressing as are human beings on this earth according to the eternal principles towards a God-like life. And I guess this is a topic that does come up at church. I've talked to Ben and others, and they do talk about this sometimes. And never is it really questioned of course, Ben has been on television shows where he's investigating UFOs. Um, in particular, he was a host of uh, the Paranormal Files. Uh, this investigation, I can't remember the name of the show. He's also done other paranormal investigation television shows. Um, he's working on a UFO show right now that will be out not too long from uh, now. But anyway, 
Yeah, he he uh, he confirms that it is definitely commonly known in the Mormon Church, and maybe some of you are Mormon that are joining us here. Uh, doesn't look like, but they're all you know they're cool with it. Oh my gosh, I have not been progressing my slides. There's an alien in Judaism. Go through the slides. They're just words. They're boring. But these are the words I was talking. I do have some cute pictures here. One of my favorite Buddha pictures. There are the Kachinas, if you're not familiar with what Kachinas are. The things that Clifford Mahuti told me. Look at that beautiful Kachina. Isn't that a cool one? The Mormon Church. This is one of the Mormon churches. Looks gorgeous in there. That is um, the trumpet dude. I don't remember who that is. Um, one of their. But let's talk into talk about this one next. Why didn't nobody told me my slides? Are you guys paying attention? Let's see. What are you guys talking about? Blue eyes from space. Somebody's mentioned. Uh, somebody said, "Look up George Adamski." And, and please be respectful of other people's beliefs and religions, um, which most people are, but a couple silly comments. Anyway, let's get into the Nation of Islam. Um, the Nation of Islam, uh, and this dude, Louis Farrakhan, the leader, definitely very infamous. Um, and I will say, you know, I don't like to disparage any religions, but certainly, uh, Farrakhan does not have very nice things to say about white people, um, as we'll see here in just a second. But they actually, and Los Farrakhan talks about this quite a bit, the mother plane um, and this UFO that's supposed to be coming here. I'll read, you know, a comment of his in just a second. But this is kind of interesting. In 2011, uh, on the Nation of Islam Savior's Day convention, this huge convention they put together, they actually had a bunch of UFO speakers there. In fact, we were putting on the UFO Congress that year, and a lot of people were going from our conference to theirs or back and forth. And uh, people like Stanton Friedman, I think Nick Pope was there, uh, Don Schmidt, uh, I think all of whom were at our convention and their convention kind of going back and forth. Uh, between them. Uh, but uh, yeah, another comment Farrakhan said he wants Obama to open Area 51. Interesting enough, Obama was president when uh, the CIA finally declassified the term Area 51. They denied its existence up until just a few years ago, and uh, which is kind of funny. But um, yeah, for the most part, the presidents who have looked into it haven't said they haven't found anything. Uh, beyond, you know, some incredible technology being developed by um, people like Skunk Works, Lockheed Skunk Works. Anyway, this is what Louis Farrakhan says about his UFO, the mother plane. The final thing is the destruction. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad told us of a giant mother plane that is made like the universe, spheres within spheres. White people call them unidentified flying objects. Um Essentially, this is summarized, but they are heavily armed spaceships the size of a city that will rain destruction upon white America, but save those who embrace the nation of Islam. 
he actually has predicted a couple times that this was going to happen and it didn't. Thank goodness. So. Aliens versus Christians. Here we go. Now we get into some nitty gritty here. I'm a guessing that a lot of you watching um, are also Christians. So we'll get into this. This might be the part that you guys are like, okay, finally, can I believe in aliens? Is it okay, Alejandro? I don't think I can. This is probably kind of sketchy. So we'll get into this right now. Yeah, people are also saying Farrakhan's not a nice person. He isn't. He says bad. He's mean. Okay, so let's get into aliens versus Christians. Why is this topic such a big deal? Here's why. It's these dang SETI scientists who I love. I love these guys. Uh, I know not everybody who is into the UFO topic does because they feel like they're skeptical and they poo-poo the whole idea of visitation and stuff like that. Um, and... You know, to their point, I would agree with them that there hasn't been any scientific evidence, something that we're all working towards. But man, have they been really ornery when it comes to the Christian. This is Paul Davies. Uh, he works at Arizona State University as an astrobiologist. He's also an Australian famous for astrobiology. In fact, there is a picture of Hillary Clinton with one of his books about aliens uh, and she's talking with Lawrence Rockefeller, one of the Rockefeller heirs, before he passed away. Why is that important? Lawrence Rockefeller, and you can find this in other articles and videos right here on Open Minds, uh, was really into UFOs, funded UFOs. He was friends with the Clintons, did a whole report, of which the original report you can only find. Well, everybody has it now, but we were the first to report the original version uh, or to share an original version in PDF format of that report. And you can find that at openminds.tv in the resource. It's the Rockefeller document. Um, so he's very influential, someone that everybody's reading uh, his ideas and thoughts on all of this. He is the chair of the SETI post-detection task force. And this is SETI as far as the SETI organization, the SETI Institute. His job is to prepare, reflect on, manage, advise, and consult in preparation for and upon the discovery of a putative signal of extraterrestrial intelligence origins, ETI. And I think that is a really important concept because SETI is looking for extraterrestrial intelligence, um, ETI. Uh, and that's an important concept because that's much different than a UFO. UFO is an unidentified flying object. Um, it, it's separate than, you know, we don't know what they are. There are multiple different answers. But in this case, they're, of course, convinced that there are extraterrestrial, intelligent extraterrestrial civilizations out there. And that's what they're looking for. Here's what Paul Davies said in New Sciences in 2010. And this kind of outlines the argument that a lot of SETI scientists have when it comes to Christians and the belief in aliens. He says, they believe that Jesus came down to earth to same humankind, not dolphins, Neanderthals, or extraterrestrials. To make sense of this, either you need multiple incarnations of Jesus on other planets, or a reason why this planet and this species was uh, singled out for special attention. So they're arguing that the theology, the Christian theology doesn't work, that according to them, 
Jesus came to this planet to save human beings on this planet, not anywhere else. So what's the deal? That means they don't, you, when we prove that there are aliens, there is alien life out there, you guys are going to freak out. You're screwed. Um, that's essentially what the SETI our scientists have been. We're, we're arguing more strongly than they have lately, and I'll show you why. And, of course, there's a little bit of uh, a reason why Christians have, uh, you know, people feel this way about Christians because, you know, the, the Catholic Church especially, they don't have a great record when it comes to this sort of thing. Here is George Giordano Bruno. Um, here's a statement from Giordano Bruno in 1584. An amazing statement, I think. He said, in 1584, he said, in space, there are countless constellations, suns, and planets. We see only the suns. Oh, my gosh. Here's Paul Davies. I keep forgetting to. Here's Giordano Bruni. I can't believe I keep doing that. Anyways, he says, in space, there are countless constellations, suns and planets. We see only the suns because they give light. The planets remain invisible for they are small and dark. There are also numberless earths circling around their suns, no worse and no less inhabited than this globe of ours. For no reasonable mind can assume that heavenly bodies, which may be far more magnificent than ours, would not bear upon them creatures similar or even superior to those upon our human earth. Whoa, you know, 1584, this guy is saying that. I think that's, you know, that's extremely important. Um, that's that's amazing uh, that, you know, he was, of course, all of this is the sort of thing for the most part, except for the, the population on the planet, is something that we take for granted, of course. You know, the sun's, uh, produce light. The planets are dark. They're just reflecting light. But that's not what people believed back then. People believed back then the earth was the center of the universe, um, that his statements were extremely blasphemous. Uh, and he was charged with blasphemy. And he was eventually burned at the stake. Uh Copernicus, Galileo, they also faced ridicule for their uh, groundbreaking uh, astronomy discoveries. Uh, and, and so I, I guess it should be said, his famous statue, which you can see here, is exactly where he was burned at the stake, actually. It's in Rome. Um, and... Giordano, it should be said, noted that Bruno here that you see here was very, he was not shy about his beliefs, about his discoveries. And he was very bold in going out there and supporting them. Um, most of the time, you know, people were like very quiet about their discoveries that could be seen blasphemous. But he was very bold. And so he was, had to be silenced, unfortunately. Somebody says he looks like a Sith. Perhaps. Galileo was placed under house arrest. He wasn't killed 
Um, Copernicus couldn't even get his Pope friend to get him out of house arrest. These are some comments from my very intelligent, well-read um, scholars that are here in the chat. Great points. They weren't as bold either. They weren't as out and in your face. So they didn't get killed. Bruno was killed because he was really not going to back down. So pretty cool. Well, it's cool that he made these discoveries. It's not cool that he was killed. And of course, this is the sort of thing that gives, also gives a um, Catholic Church a, a bad name when it comes to scientific discoveries around these sort of things. However, things change with these comments. You know, this comment um, from Paul Davids here was in 2010. And around this time is where really SETI guys were getting really kind of ornery about these sort of comments. And I think it's because they really felt, I mean, if you've seen the movie Contact, the idea of searching for extraterrestrial intelligence was laughed at, just like the UFO topic was laughed at. Um, and it took a very concerted effort by a group of scientists, the SETI Institute scientists, to prove the the science that it is likely there are there is intelligent life out there. Um, and they were very effective that did it. Uh, and then there was, you know, we moved upon this time and we're still in it where this whole SETI concept, this idea of looking for life elsewhere, and it's got to be there, it's got to be close, is now a major um, component of NASA and what NASA is doing. Many of their projects uh, is to look for life. Their new Mars rover has equipment on it for the first time that can look for life. The other equipment that it, those rovers that were up there had could look for chemicals and things like that, but not necessarily, you know, life. They could find indications, different gases, different minerals or things like that. But um, now they, there's going to be new equipment up there where we can actually look for life. And a lot of people feel that there will be life found. People in NASA are saying this now. People in NASA are talking like these SETI people. They turned everything around. And especially about 10 years ago, you know, even more so than right now, they were in the center of the space science. Everything was about, this is what we're going to go do. We're going to go look for life. And that spurred a lot of projects that are ongoing uh, to look for life on other planets. But the... Pope and the Vatican responded. In 2009, the Pontifical Academy of Sciences in Vatican City hosted Study Week on Astrobiology, um, where they actually invited a bunch of astrobiology people to um, have a conference to talk about advances in this field. And it was a hot topic at this time. And what their point was is to say, we are science friendly. The, the Vatican is into science. We believe in science. We want to prove it by having these people here. They admit, true, there all are these theosophical conversations going on. The Jesuits who are looking at the Bible and saying, well, if you interpret this this way, then it means this. And arguing about those issues that Paul Davids brought up, how, you know, according to the Bible, Jesus only came to earth. How do we deal with that? I wouldn't even say they've completely dealt with that theosophical issue, which is still something that is debated in those environments. But the top people at the church are very much embracing 
um, this possibility and that it's okay. In fact, here's uh, Father uh, Jose Gabriel Funes, who's the director of the Vatican Observatory. He says, the questions of life's origins and whether life exists elsewhere in the universe are very suitable and deserve a serious consideration. Um, he also said, and this was actually written in a article that was in the uh, the La Observatore Romano. It's essentially a, a newsletter from the Vatican. They wrote an article called The Extraterrestrial is My Brother. Um, and in it, he says, as a multiplicity of creatures exist on Earth, so um, there could be other beings also intelligent, created by God. This does not contrast with our faith because we cannot put limits on the creative freedom of God. To say it with St. Francis, if we consider earthly creatures as brother and sister, why cannot we also speak of an extraterrestrial brother? It would therefore be a part of creation. It is a part of uh, the creation. That's how he said it. That's how the Italians talk with their hands. So that's what I'm doing here. So, yeah. Um, Indie Syndicate Production says, do you need a real Italian to pronounce, to pronounce these names? I do. I really do. And uh, that would be helpful. Um, I don't know how you – maybe – if this is who I think this is, I think this is my good buddy, Dean. You can say them on your phone. Send me a voice text, if you would, with the right pronunciation. And then I can play it here so people can get the correct pronunciation. Because I know I'm just destroying these things. But I'm doing my best, buddy. But there's more. The church did not stop there. The Pope himself got involved and claimed that everyone has the right to baptism, even aliens from Mars. Whoa. French news agency AFP reports that during the Pope's daily mass on Monday, May 12, 2014, he stated, Christians cannot close the door to all those who seek baptism, even if they are green men with a long nose and big ears like children draw. If tomorrow, for example, an expedition of Martians arrive um, and some of them came to us here, Martians, right? Green with the long noses and the big ears, just like the children paint them. And one says, but I want to be baptized. What would happen? He would baptize them. He would baptize those little critters. Um, in a 2010 interview with uh, The Guardian, Vatican astronomer Guy Consolmagno, I love that name, Guy Consolmagno. In fact, the Vatican has some um, observatories uh, in Tucson, south of here. That's why I'm pointing that way, because that's south of Phoenix, the Tucson area. Um, and he runs those. Um, but Guy Consomagno stated that he would baptize an extraterrestrial being if one requested because any entity, no matter how many tentacles it has, has a soul. And that part is in quotes. He even wrote a book to this effect or that included that. Of course, he's being very tongue-in-cheek. Um, but uh, at least the point is they're trying to say, hey, we're cool. If aliens are out there. We're cool with it. And I believe I am pronouncing his name right. Um, Guy Consomagno. Um, and Guy Consomagno um, 
Yeah. So the Vatican has done a lot, essentially, to try to um, correct their wrongs when it comes to astronomy and science. They no longer, in fact, I think it's been quite some time since they've burned an astronomer at the stake. And I think that's good. I think that's a good trend. And so, uh, you know, they're no longer uh, being, um, you know, attacking the science. They're adopting the science. And they're saying, we're cool with the science. If the science says they're aliens, we're cool with it. So there you go. For all of you Christians who were worried, it's okay. Um, James Nation says they're backpedaling. That's true, but they're backpedaling regarding something that they said a very long time ago. So, um, Kurt Hullis says, what about Baby Yoda? Baby Yoda sounds very similar. In fact, his, his name is Grogu. Spoiler. Hopefully that's not a spoiler. You ought to see, have seen the episode a couple weeks ago and know that Baby Yoda's name is Grogu. Um, I'm a huge fan of Baby Yoda. He could, I, but I'm guessing that he would not um, get baptized. That's what I'm guessing. Um, why not let astronomers and scholars into their own? Of course, some people are messing, um, talking about the Vatican having archives that have all these secrets, la da da. I'm not so sure about that, but certainly there are those conspiracy theories out there none of which are, they're all very dubious. If you ask me, I've, I've looked into, of course, all of these Vatican um, conspiracies. And in fact, for this article and for these talks, I've done that over the time. I don't think there's anything to indicate that the Vatican knows any more than anybody else regarding aliens and UFOs. Um, maybe they've cottoned some things on their telescopes that they haven't shared with anybody else, but um I, that's complete speculation. Um, so I don't think there's any evidence of that. But let's get into the next section. Um, I think you're going to find this interesting. This is the type of stuff I love. So, you know, we've talked about religions and the ideas um, and whether or not religions are okay with uh, aliens and the, the existence of aliens. Uh, you know, certainly this is a question. A lot of people wonder, am I supposed to be believe in aliens? Is that okay if I'm a religious person? As we've just reviewed, it is okay. Out of all these major religions we just covered, they're all cool with it, including the Catholics. Um, so uh, it's for the most part, okay. But how will people react? is the question. So let's look into this. Um, we've got a survey that will give us these answers. I'm pushing the button here to move the slide, the wrong button. That's what's confusing me. I had to have the slides on a different computer. So here's a cool dude. I like this guy, Dr. Ted Peters. He's a professor of systematic theology at Pacific Lutheran Theology Seminary and the Graduate Theology Union in Berkeley, California. He also actually also writes about science and religion quite a bit. If you were to Google his name, you'll find a lot of different papers about science and religion. That's kind of his specialty, um, very well known for, for doing so. He created something called the Peters ETI Religious Crisis Survey, um, along with his research assistant, Julie Froheek. 
The survey was created to test the hypothesis that, quote, upon confirmation of contact between Earth and an extraterrestrial civilization of intelligent beings, the long-established religious traditions of Earth would confront a crisis of belief and perhaps even collapse. So that's the hypothesis. Is this true? Is what he's trying to prove. That's, and this isn't his hypothesis. What he has said, and I've got actually some podcasts where I've interviewed um, Dr. Peters. I know him pretty well. Um, talk to him fairly regularly. He's part of the SCU, the Scientific Coalition for UAP um, Studies. Um, but he is, you know, one of the most well-known religion and science um, kind of thinkers and philosophers and writers. Um. And, you know, his problem was, hey, you said he guys, you keep saying that churches and, you know, those of us who are religious, not me, I'm not a religious person, I'm an agnostic person. I'll talk about that maybe a little more in just a minute. But he's saying for him and other religious people, you guys keep saying that once, you know, aliens are discovered or you get a another wow signal and you say, hey, we discovered there's an alien civilization three light years away or or. or 50 light years away and, you know, um, they're far, but we can now communicate during radio and we're going to text each other from here on out and figure what we're like or whatever, you know, uh, that religions are going to freak out and they're toast. They're going to collapse. Um, and he decided he disagreed with that. He felt like probably many of you feel, he said, I'm a religious person. I'm into this. I believe there are civilizations out there as a scientist or as a science person who studies science. And I don't think when we do discover this for sure, it's going to affect me or my religious beliefs. Um, he also is into UAP. He believes that there is a possibility. He's open to the possibility that UAP represent uh, visitation from other places. Um, that's why he's part of the Scientific Coalition for UAP Research. And he says that um, he, you know, he disagreed with this hypothesis that said he's put forward. So he wanted to do the scientific thing, which is do a survey, do an inventory, go ask people. And that's what he did. So Peters and Froelig uh, surveyed over a thousand people with various religious traditions, Roman Catholicism, uh, Protestantism, mainline and uh, evangelical, uh, Orthodox Christianity, Mormonism, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Muslim, as well as those claiming to be non-religious, such as myself. Let's see, any comments? Next slide. So what did he find out? He found out that very few of those surveys felt that their personal beliefs would be affected by extraterrestrial confirmation, which those of us who um, feel similar to him um, are probably of the same belief. Not one Buddhist or Mormon felt that their personal beliefs would be affected. Only 8% of the Catholics felt they would be affected. That's interesting because of the theosophical issues between like the Bible and, um, and the existence of extraterrestrials. Um, however, I don't know that a lot of Catholics, me being a former Catholic, you know, altar boy, all that good stuff. 
Um, I don't think they know the the theosophical details of their own religion. So I don't even know that there many of them would know that there is a problem. Um, so only 8% of the Catholics felt that they would be effective. The highest effective group were Jewish people at 11%. And I wrote Jews. I don't know if that's bad or not. Let me know. But um, uh, that was what the report used. was that term. So this survey indicates that personal religious beliefs would likely withstand the discovery of extraterrestrial life. Uh, it looks like we got Amazon. My honey's very excited. She usually runs to the door screaming, present, when Amazon comes. So Peters writes, if adherents to the world's religious traditions foresee no threat, then the widespread assumption about an impending crisis fails to gain confirmation here, which makes sense. What do you guys think? Because, you know, a lot of people write about this. A lot of people say religious uh, religions are going to be, you know, thrown out the window. But you know what? The survey said why people said that. And that's what's interesting. So let's look at the next page. And not only that, how do you like my picture here? Jesus loves aliens too. And this embrace between the alien and Jesus. Isn't that a lovely image? What a beautiful picture. The aliens love that picture from what I hear. Okay. This is really interesting. So going beyond, Catholics and Jewish people responded that their religious traditions may face some turmoil. So in other words, I'm going to be fine. But Father Joe, you know, Rabbi Johnson, is there a Rabbi Johnson? Rabbi, um, um, I don't know. Anyway, my rabbi, my priest, they're going to freak out. I'm going to be good, but they're going to flip out. So that was essentially the question. 18% um, of Jewish people said, yeah, the church or the, the synagogue, they're going to be in trouble. Um, and then 22% of Catholics said the church is going to be in trouble, um, which is kind of interesting, especially for Catholics, because as we've seen, the Catholic Church has already kind of addressed this and said, no, we're cool with it. One respondent explained the difference between how he felt he would be affected versus how his religious tradition might be affected by commenting, quote, the strict followers of religion would be the most affected by such a finding of extraterrestrial life, whereas the loose followers, such as myself, would welcome the new discovery, end quote. And this is kind of, you know, um, um, they also allowed people to make comments. And that was kind of the general feeling, um, which is pretty interesting, I think. But it still doesn't demonstrate that uh, this is how people felt about their religious institution. It doesn't mean that's how the religious institution felt, because as we've gone over, these are those people. These are those people who are like, am I supposed to be an alien? believe in aliens. I'm a Catholic. I'm not sure. You know, I'm Jewish. I'm not sure. But as we've just reviewed, the churches are okay with it. It is okay. People relax. It's okay. You don't have to be in the closet. When you go to church this weekend or go to the, the temple or the synagogue, you can happily wear your alien t-shirt and say, I believe in aliens. And the priest, your, your rabbi or whether should come give you a hug and say, right on high five. We're cool with it too. 
So here's some of their conclusions. Although those surveys felt their personal beliefs and their religious traditions would continue. Here's a slide. Uh, we continue. Many thought their religions would be in trouble. About a third of Christians and over a third of Jewish people uh, and some Buddhists thought other religions would face a cri crisis. That's kind of interesting. So when they asked the, the religious people, well, what do you think? Are other religions going to have a problem? About a third of Christians and over a third of Jewish and Buddhist people said, yeah, the other religions are in trouble. And I think this is kind of the more sentiment out there. And, and this is what I've heard from people. I'm Catholic. I think we're going to be okay. The Pope said he's going to baptize aliens. He's going to baptize baby Yoda. I think we're all right. But the Jewish people, they are going to flip out when they find out about aliens. Or the Buddhists are like, hey, we're cool. We'll just meditate. Invite them to meditate. We already know baby Yoda meditates. He's already down with us. So we're cool. But those Christians, those Jewish people, they are going to flip out when they hear about aliens. I don't want to be anywhere near a church. But um, everybody thought everybody else was going to flip out. Even worse are the non-religious people who I think have, were over-biased. And, you know, this is my group. And I'm like, hey, guys, you're kind of being goofy here. Nearly three quarters of the non-religious persons, that's like nearly 75%, said they believe all religions were in trouble. So they're, they're like, we're going to be cool. We're not religious. So we don't have this issue. But those religious people are all going to be flipping out. They are all in trouble. So I think this is kind of what he discovered was that everybody, um, and by he, I mean Peters and, and his assistant, um, everybody kind of feels like I'm going to be okay. Everybody else is messed up. And of course, if everybody feels like they're going to be okay, then that's the answer. Everybody's going to be okay. Uh, religions aren't really going to be as effective. Somebody said cults should thrive. We're going to get into the cults in just a second. Uh, John Lindy asked, which branch of Judaism? Kind of important. Um, that's a great question. And I really could have gotten that mixed up. Um, He's saying, you know, I don't think it's possible to characterize the Jewish community in a monolithic way. Reformed Jews may not respond, may respond far different than Orthodox Jews. You know what? You've got a really great point. I haven't had anybody made that point before, John, um, but you do have a great point, And I don't have an answer to that. And you know what I'll do is I'll look that up so that next time uh, I can look into that. Dolene says, I think this study is overgeneralized. I completely disagree. And here's why, because that is my experience. And perhaps even think, Dolene, about your own experience. I mean, how do you feel? The vast majority of people I talk to feel exactly how this study um, discovered people feel, which is most people felt that, um, you know, most people feel like I'll be okay but others are probably in trouble, or maybe my religious institution is going to be in trouble. Um, whereas religious institutions have looked into this, um, and most people feel they'll be okay. And maybe Dolene, you could, if you feel comfortable doing it, you can share with us how you feel, because I'm guessing you feel similar. Nearly most people do. Okay, 
Um, John Lindy says, not a criticism. No, that was a very helpful piece of uh, information you shared with me, John. Thank you very much. I should look into that. Uh, I don't know enough about Judaism, unfortunately, um, to have been uh, had that foresight. So let's look into this, though, because everybody I'm sure is thinking about this. We know there are some fundamentalists out there, some evangelicals who are not cool with the aliens. And you're exactly right. In fact, um, one of them had a comment. I personally believe that Satan, the enemy of Jesus, will attempt to deceive the world into believing he is an ET and many will fall for it. There are no ETs in the sense of physically evolved alien creatures. They are ETs in the sense of spiritual beings, angels and demons. Somebody asked about the angel and demons question. Here you go. Evangelical Protestants, um, some do believe there angels are, that there's only angels and demons out there besides the humans and that aliens must be demons. In fact, Pat Robertson, Robertson of the 700 Club in July 1997. Um, and in fact, I believe this is in, in response because uh, July 1997 was the 50th anniversary of the Roswell event. And that is they had a huge festival in Roswell, New Mexico. Time magazine had aliens on the cover. 1997 Roswell and the idea of aliens was a big deal. It was in the news all over the place. So Pat Robertson says this, these things are at best lifeless nothings, intelligent and demonic. They are not a host of heaven. They are fallen angels. Can a demon appear as a slanted eyed, funny looking creature? Of course he can, or it can. Of course they can deceive people. They can lead people away from the true God. Now think of baby Yoda little Grogu, and then think of that statement. Makes me sad. Grogu's a good dude. So yeah, this picture I have here is the Alien Resistance Headquarters. Um, Guy Malone is the founder of this organization, and this picture is from Roswell, New Mexico. So I have, I've known Guy Malone, he comes to the Roswell events. I've been at the Roswell events for like the last 10, 11 years, uh, every summer um, speaking. And Guy Malone has been a prominent figure there. He usually holds his own separate event. And, uh, and this is a picture of it. They have this store that is the Alien Resistance Headquarters. They have these stickers you might have seen that have an alien with a circle and a, a line through it saying no aliens. They don't like aliens. Um, in fact, here's what he says in, uh, on his website, alienresistance.org, Malone states, um, quote, deceptive spiritual entities are posing as modern day aliens, bringing tormenting experiences into the lives of individuals and offering a false gospel message in opposition of the true message of Jesus Christ, end quote. They believe that they've discovered that, quote, alien abduction experiences can be terminated in the name of Jesus Christ, end quote. So that's what they believe. I've, guy is actually a, a nice guy. I do know him. I've talked to him, you know, um, several times. Uh, he was at an event that I was at before, and he's always very respectful and nice, I've found. Um, he just... Ain't cool. He ain't down with the aliens. 
Now, there is an opposing view here. Let's see. I'm just looking at the notes. Uh, the idea that aliens are demons is the biggest obstacle to worldwide ex acceptance of extraterrestrial oops, um, life visiting Earth. I don't know if I agree with that. And here's why I say that. And this is someone in, in the chat mentioned this. Um, the reason I say that I would disagree is that it's not a large population, um, really. Uh, we could look it up, but I don't think that that's, you know, certainly there are influential people in that population. Right now, of course, there's, um, uh, you know, ideological issues let's say, uh, that arise from um, the political uh, nature of things and the evangelical involvement with that. Um, so uh, they do have an influence, but I don't know if that that's going to be the world's uh, biggest obstacle. I think science will be the biggest obstacle because science appropriately has a very high bar um, improving scientifically something exists. That is the bar we need to reach. I think that's the hard one. Okay. Hey, Rojas, let's chat over cafe if you ever come here. He's talking about Canada, Cortola. Definitely. Love my coffee. Got my boring cup. Shouldn't have my one of my cool cups. Okay. So anyway, let's move on. This is the answer to the angel and demon thing from um, Monsignor Carrado Balducci. See, I'm not that bad at the Italian names. Carrado Balducci. He was the Vatican demonologist. He attended UFO conferences around the world. He was the demonologist. He was the guy that they made the Exorcist movie. The main character was kind of, you know, it was a, an homage to Monsignor Carrado Balducci. Because as the Vatican's demonologist. Of course, he was in charge of exorcism and all of this sort of thing. His views, um, he did die in 2008, but yeah, the UFO Congress, he, he went there. You would see him at UFO conferences. He's very tall, very nice, great guy, Italian. He didn't speak a whole lot of English. I, I don't remember that well, but um, he said this, or his views were very similar to those expressed by Funes. And he would often state that demons and extraterrestrials were two separate issues. And angels and demons, quote, don't need airships to show themselves, end quote. He also would comment that um, he made this comment about UFOs and that he went to UFO conferences because he believed it was a real deal. And he used to say, um, you know, my religion, um, what I do as a Vatican demonologist is mostly reliant on anecdotal information. So when I'm getting anecdotal information from, you know, people in the church or, or others, and they're telling me they're having these experiences, you know, they're seeing UFOs and stuff, I've got to take them seriously. And that's why he took it seriously. He was very adamant, though, as the Vatican's head demonologist, that aliens were not demons. Um, that was a big point of his that, you know, um, Aliens are physical creatures. Demons are much more important and, and non-physical um, sort of thing. So he disagreed. It'd be great to have a character like this around still. He was a um, pretty unique person. So 
Um, breaking it down, here's another survey about people's religious beliefs that I think are really interesting. This is more new. This is done by a company called Servada. <clears throat> this was, oh my gosh, this was done in September 2013. The reason I'm shocked is they sent me this, um, and I thought it was great that they did this, and I didn't think it was seven years ago. It didn't seem like that long ago. But I think this is really interesting. They asked, do you believe in the existence of extraterrestrial life? There's a problem with that question. And we'll, I'll talk about it. Sorry, here's that Servada survey right here. 37% um, said yes. 21% said no. 42% said I'm not sure which is a bit surprising because for the most part, even NASA, you know, science has really adopted this idea that the, the math is there. There's got to be alien civilizations out there. And most likely there's got to be intelligent alien civilizations out there. Um, but the problem with this is, is people think of aliens as something weird. You know, um, when it comes to science, they believe there's at least microbes, you know, vast majority. And I think that, you know, if you were to parse this question out, if you were to ask, you know, do you believe there's alien life such as perhaps algae or something like that somewhere else um, is different than intelligence? I think the numbers would have been a little different um, when they broke it down to religions. Of course, the non-religious people were most acceptance. So we're 55 per percent said definitely there's life out there 30 percent said maybe and only 19 or 15 said nah um and then it goes down from there next muslim then jewish then hindu then christians um surprisingly christians being way at the bottom at 32 percent or maybe unsurprisingly because um of those theosophical issues but uh this was interesting i thought um they had about 2,200 uh, participants. So those are the numbers on the real effect when it comes to all of this. And then now we'll get into our last section, which I know some of you are waiting for. Tom Kerr says they don't like the words aliens. They like to be called star people. Didn't know. How do you know that? How many of these folks are familiar with the Drake equation? John asks. Great question. Because if you look at the math, overwhelmingly, there's got to be other life out there. Okay, let's go to the next section, which is an exciting one. I think you're all going to enjoy. Aliens and new religions. And here's a picture of me and some of my friends. Uh, we've created this alien religion and we go out there and we try to talk to the aliens. And uh, just kidding. This is actually from a television show called uh, Starry Eyes. I haven't seen it, but I thought the picture was perfect for uh, the front page of, of this slide. Now, I'm saying new religions. I'm trying not to use the word cult here. And here's why. Um, originally, the word cult was used to define a small organized religious group, but then evolved into kind of a negative term. So it didn't used to be a negative term, and now it is. The Webster's Dictionary defines a cult as a religious um, religion regarded as unorthodox or spurious. 
Now, for me, I am not a religious person. So for me, all religions are kind of unorthodox in thought. Um, you know, for me, of course, alien abduction is kind of a fringy type of idea. It's kind of weird and people, you know, believing that happens. But at the same time, for someone standing from the outside, how is that any different from um, Catholic beliefs or some of the Jewish or, or Mormon beliefs? And I'm not being offensive. I'm not attempting to be offensive by saying any of that. But I think it's fair. It's fair for me to say, you know, they all, anybody can view something as unorthodox. And so I don't think it's always fair to use that word cult or to try to, you know, spin something negative on, on a less or a more fringe kind of religion. And that's what I'm going to use the term religion. In fact, because of the negative connotation and out of respect for the people that they're researching, social scientists typically don't use the word cult. Is it appropriate at times? Well, we're going to see here, maybe it is um, when we go over this, but we're also going to see here that maybe it's not. Um, so let's get into this section. Here's an example of a group that I wouldn't like to call a cult. So in the 1950s, there was a the contactee movement. Um, a big epicenter for this movement was Giant Rock and in, in, um, in the desert of California, um, Joshua Tree kind of area. Uh, they would meet there. There was a group that would, you know, thousands. This was this huge outdoor conference that would happen. And these people would come talk about their talking with aliens. If you've seen the movie Easy Rider, there's a scene in there. Um, where, you know, they're sitting there talking and um, who's that, the, the kid, he was a kid in there. Anyway, he's a football star, very popular actor. Um, anyways, they, he's like, you know, they're, they're smoking pot around a fire and, in the movie and they look up and they're like, he's like, yeah, there's aliens. And he's talking about, you know, aliens are trying to help us. Um, the government doesn't want to reveal them, but they're actually here trying to tell us to be better and to take care of our planet because um, we're screwing it up. And, you know, in the 1950s, this generalized that society. Tons of there were a lot of people claiming to have communication with aliens. And they were all saying essentially the same thing that you guys got to quit screwing up your planet and that sort of thing. Um, in that period of time, one of the more well-known religions that started was this one, the Aetherius Society. The founder was George King, which you see here in the picture. He was a yoga master who says he began receiving telepathic messages from Aetherius, a cosmic master. According to the Aetherius Society website, these cosmic masters have come to us in our time of need to guide us through hard times. Quote, they have delivered their messages to the political and religious leaders and have been ignored, end quote. So now Aetherius has gone directly to the people. The Aetherius Society was founded in the UK in 1950s. They've got, um, you know, UFO people over there in the UK as well. Some of you might be in here. But after nearly 60 decades of transmissions, it's unclear whether it has been 
any help to society. A major concern for the cosmic master is that, quote, our world is accelerating into a world of selfishness and materialistic hedonism, causing an increase in violence and terrorism around the world and a rapid depletion of Earth's resources. You know what? I think the cosmic master is exactly right with that statement right there. However, I think that is an observation that has also been made by humans. And if he's a cosmic master, this is the issue I have with the contacting movement and a lot of this, uh, you know, others out there. And I mean, no offense if you're one of these people who say they're talking to aliens and that aliens are, are doing exactly this, telling us, well, come on, you're a cosmic master. You can't help us in the last 70 years more than have this poor guy come out and tell people he's talking to you and and be ridiculed because unfortunately uh for better you know george king is ridiculed um the arthuria society is fairly well known and it still comes up they still exist to this day but here's the thing if you look into the details sure there's some weird beliefs here some some beliefs that aren't provable but here's what they believe. The single greatest aspect of the society's teaching is the importance of selfless service to others. The society's motto is service is the jewel and the rock of attainment. That's pretty cool, right? Um, they also teach oneness and the divine spark within all life. God is all UFOs and advanced life on other planets. Um, prayer as a natural way of invoking and radiating spiritual energy, karma and reincarnation, um, yoga philosophy and practice, including yoga, breathing and the chanting of mantra. Um, the society does not regard itself as the one and only path to enlightenment or salvation. This is particularly interesting and a lot of newer religions are doing this and i think that this is important also with your typical religion either you're with us or you're going to hell you're screwed you're you're gone you're burning in the flames of hell for eternity but not these guys you know it maintains that all the great religions are simply different expressions of the one essential timeless reality that is the divine source so they're very, um, they're cool with all other religions. Sure, you don't believe us, believe whatever you believe, but we're all in this together and we're all seeking the same thing. So, you know, as religions go, if I were to put up Arthurian society and to make fun of and to, to put them up against Catholicism, and this is, you know, my background where my family comes from and everything, I would kind of be like, these guys are a little bit more chill over here, the Arthurian people. So at least they're not kind of, Say anybody's going to hell because they don't believe in them. So, I mean, you know, this is my argument that not all of these groups are as weird or as bad as many like to think. I mean, what's so bad about these people being out there and believing in helping people and believing that we're all one? Um, I think it's, it's pretty cool as far as uh, religions go. And, uh, you know, this is one of my examples why uh, justifies. We don't need to call all of these new um UFO or alien-based religions cults because some of them are totally legit and well-intentioned. Scientology. Mm, this might be in the middle a bit. Of course, they get a lot of heat. That's going to be in the next one we're going to talk about right here. Um, Scientology. 
Um, Janet Reitman, she's a contributing editor to Rolling Stone magazine, and she spent a lot of time following Scientology. In her 2011 book, Inside Scientology, the story of America's most secretive re religion, she revealed her findings. And, you know, it used to be, I used to go to the University of Colorado in Boulder. And when I was there, there was a teacher who, uh, a professor who had been in Scientology. He got very upset about you know, the controversial things that go in there, he left and started sharing, you know, some of the problems with Scientology. And he had a hard time. His computers were taken. They, you know, they sued him and they were able to get the sheriff to come take his computers, all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, so at the time of when I put this article or this thing, this uh, talk together, probably about seven years ago, you know, this book was one of the main sources for information. Now we have that new television show and other specials out there that talk a lot about this. But why do I call it a UFO religion? Here's why. One of the things that Scientologists often deny, but that is well documented by many people who um, were in Scientology, some of whom got to this level. So to get to the different levels, you have to pay a substantial amount of money. In fact, some people brought up uh, Stephen Greer, who is the same thing, asks for all kinds of money to go communicate with aliens. Um, but anyway, uh, you had to pay a lot of money to go to the different levels. And when you got to one of these higher levels, spent tens of thousands of dollars on the church, you would learn this big secret. And some people who learned this big secret thought it was so ridiculous and, and insane that they left Scientology and then started to reveal its secrets and tell people, hey, these guys are not cool. In a nutshell, here's the alien part. They believe in Zeno. Zeno is a tyrannical ruler. This is what you would learn. So you guys are getting this free. You're learning this high-level stuff. In a nutshell, Zeno is the tyrannical ruler of several planets. In an effort to curb overcrowding of his planets, he brought billions of people to Earth, stacked them around volcanoes, and then blew them up with hydrogen bombs. The problem is, is that our souls, called Thetans, stuck around and infested our bodies, causing us a lot of trouble. Thus, one of the main goals of Scientology is to clear ourselves of Thetans. So one of the things they do is they do these analysis to figure out what your Thetans are. And what's interesting is actually L. Ron Hubbard, who created this religion, who is a science fiction author who said he always wanted to create a religion, he also was into psychology. So they use psychology to kind of um, help relieve you of some of your issues. But they say these issues stem from these Thetans, these bad Thetan aliens from elsewhere. So Scientology, this is one of, uh, I would call another new um, alien religion. Many of you have heard of the Ray Aliens. They were founded in 1974 by this guy, Claude Vorillion, I think they call him, uh, who now just goes by the name Rael. Um, in 1973, Rael met extraterrestrials called the Elohim, he claims. That's the year I was born. Um, perhaps they're the ones who brought me here. The Elohim explained that they had created human beings and seated prophets around the world, such as Jesus and Buddha 
and Alejandra, just kidding, who created the major world religions. Rael was chosen to help bring awareness of their existence and to build an embassy. The Elohim are willing to land their spaceships on Earth and introduce themselves, but only if we openly invite them. Um, they became famous in 2001 when they started this company called Clonade. Um, and this was a, they created this boat in international waters so they can clone a human being, which they said is something that the aliens do is cloning is how they reproduce their population. And, and um, Rael had said cloning is important because it's the key to human immortality. They claimed to have cloned a human. They said they were going to do it, you know, publicly to show the press that they could do it. It was a big deal. Everybody's like, no, that's illegal, but they're in international waters. Can we even do anything about it? Uh, they just let them be. Um, clone aid said, okay, we're going to show you our clone baby. They never did. They said, yep, we were successful, but we're not going to show you anything. They're very good at marketing the Raelians. In fact, Speaking about marketing genius, one of the items, one of the festivals they have that get them in the news every year is their Go Topless campaign. They're really into free love and that women should be able to go out topless if men can. And so they'll have these big rallies where these women will be topless, which obviously gets a lot of attention from the press and from others in the local communities. And that's always kind of a big thing, too, that gets them out there. So... Um, you'll notice them in the news with their Go Topless campaigns. So the Raelians, kind of a different stranger one, but another one of those new ones out there. Heaven's Gate. Of course, this is a scary one. Um, this was started in the 70s by Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles. In fact, I think it's HBO. You guys can tell me if I'm, I'm right or wrong, or it might be Netflix. In fact, let me look it up. Um, they're having a... Uh, documentary on it that's coming out if it didn't just if it didn't come out already so let me look here who's got the hbo hbo max has got a uh, documentary that i think just came out or it's coming out very soon on these these guys um so what's up with these guys heaven's gate do 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 so Nettles and Applewhite met in 1972. They started a metaphysical bookstore together and began cultivating their unique extraterrestrial theories. They actually met with Jacques Vallée, a famous ufologist. And, uh, you know, he, he was well known for being the protege of Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who worked on uh, Air Force Project Blue Book and other UFO projects. Um, and he was the model for the French character in Close Encounters, Jacques Vallée. Jacques Vallée also helped the French start their official UFO investigations. But they were referred to the two. They said they were actually extraterrestrials um, and that they were going to be killed in a way that they weren't aware of and then resurrection resurrected um, before being retrieved by a spaceship. Um it didn't happen, and they lost a lot of followers, but this is how they started. Um, Nettles began calling herself T, and Applewhite referred to himself as a doe. Um, in 1985, Nettles actually died of lung cancer. Um, oh, I should say they met Valet in Stanford, um, 
essentially because they were meeting with different astronomers and stuff to tell them, hey, we're aliens and to try to, I think, gain credibility for themselves. Um, but Valet said he could tell they were really strange back then, although they weren't clear about what they were talking about or anything like that. Um, in 1993, they placed an ad in USA Today to get more members. Uh, they began making money by developing a website under the name Higher Source. In 1996, Heavenscape moved their headquarters into a mansion near San Diego. That's where I live. In fact, they moved into the upscale community of Rancho Santa Fe. That is like, I'm in Encinitas, specifically Cardiff um, by the sea, which is right next to Rancho Santa Fe. In fact, I got to drive through Rancho Santa Fe to get some, to some of the stores I go to. It's crazy expensive area. Um, everybody's got a huge chunk of land and a huge house. Um, but uh, supposedly what they did, they created a uh, website creating company and they all lived together in this little commune in this house and that's how they made money from this company building websites philosophies their philosophies changed from the 70s applewhite claimed that in the early 1970s he and, and nettles experienced a walk-in this is where their souls were replaced by those of extraterrestrials they gathered members to help the members uh, undergo a physical metamorphosis, which T and Doe had already experienced, enabling them to meet advanced extraterrestrials in a heavenly realm and space. So, yeah, these guys said they were extraterrestrial. They were able to make their members um, be enabling them somehow to become extraterrestrial-ish so that they can meet the aliens in space, which was something that was going to happen. This idea of walk-ins and alien souls or other souls coming into somebody's bodies and replacing their old souls is actually something you hear to this day in metaphysical and UFO kind of communities. Uh, interesting idea. In March 1997, 39 members of the group, including Applewhite, committed suicide, believing that they would be able to ascend to a higher level via a spaceship that was accompanying the Hale-Bopp Comet. Uh, they used massive amounts of sedatives mixed with applesauce or pudding and washed it down with vodka. So 39 people killed themselves. This is what's really, this is, you know, reminds me of what makes me so frustrated. And you guys, have, if you listen to my show, I've heard me frustrated a lot lately about the speculation and just flat out just stuff people make up in the UFO community about every little story that comes out. And this is the sort of thing that's kind of the danger of it. So the hail Bob comment, having a UFO hiding behind it was a big thing in the UFO community. And uh, of course, these people believe that they could kill themselves and then hop a ride on, on this spaceship. And uh, I just don't think of course it worked out that way. They certainly did um, kill themselves. So, Big news story back in the day. Some of you, I'm sure most of, if not all of you have heard about it, but they've got this HBO special coming out, like just came out or is about to come out on this where you can find out more about it. Weird stuff. I mean, look at him. He's a weird looking dude. Okay. Oh, there you go. I didn't advance the picture so you could look at him. Now there you go. Interesting person. People are talking about Jacques Vallée, that he's brilliant. Um, 
walking on eggshells. I don't know. Here's where I would say with Jacques Vallée. Coincidentally, you guys are talking about him. Here he is. Uh, and we're going to talk more about Jacques Vallée. A lot of people think he's got some kind of all kinds of this hidden information and secrets. Not as much as you guys may think, uh, I believe. Um, but he's always been on the forefront of some very intellectual thinking, philosophizing, and science when it comes to this topic. Um, and I think he's had some, he called out this issue a long time ago that UFO secrecy will create an environment where these religions will start. That the, when there's a gap of information that people have, that they're going to fill that gap with just make-believe. And the danger is that people will capitalize on these belief systems to make money and to create these cults. Some of you in the chat have commented about people in this UFO community that have done just that. Um, and they're making tons of money um, off of their disingenuous, fantastical belief systems that they've created whole cloth. Um, and that's unfortunate. Uh, the gamut of UFO religions range from the innocent to the dangerous, just like new religions and cults throughout history, which haven't included extraterrestrials in their belief systems. This is kind of my summation. As technology and science have become more prevalent in our lives, new systems of a belief appear to be incorporating themselves into these new aspects. What I think is fascinating when it comes to religions and UFOs, um, and this was more so seven or so years ago when I wrote this or I put together this lecture in the first place, was that although UFO, the idea of aliens and, and UFOs was frowned upon, and especially when I put this together, not looked upon, you know, tongue in cheek, not taken seriously whatsoever, even though that's the case, every religion, as we've seen, has taken it upon themselves or been forced to comment um, about their belief systems regarding aliens. In fact, they've been, in the case of the Catholic Church or others, they've had to reevaluate their theosophical ideals because of extraterrestrials and the idea of aliens and that we might be discovering life elsewhere sometime really soon. So every religion has been affected has responded, and now has a stance. And this is before the 2017 New York Times article that really made this topic more mainstream. Not only that, these large religions, Raelism, uh, Scientology, um, you know, these big influential religious new religions that are popping up have this alien or UFO aspect to them. Very modern. Uh, my point being that I think we'll continue to see this. And if not now, more than ever, because now that the Navy said, yes, there, this is a real phenomena, something's going on. A lot of people are trying to process that and deal with that. And a lot of people will adopt the idea of, wow, um, they're really out there. And some who are prone to this 
will fill those gaps and say, well, they must be our gods. They must be in charge. They'll probably figure just like the Arthurian society, there must be the ones who brought Buddha and Jesus and everybody else here. And so they're the real gods. They're the real people we have to worship. I think we'll see more of that. And just the impact that this whole belief system or this whole, the idea of aliens is having on religion. Um, I think it's really significant and interesting and will continue. In 1978, the UN was looking at the UFO issue because of the Prime Minister of Granada, Sir Eric Gary. Uh, he, in 1977, um, he was a he had his own sighting, but in 1977, he brought up the the UN should investigate UFOs and collect data on UFOs. A young, um, intrepid reporter named Lee Spiegel, good friend of mine, interviewed him several times, saw that was happening and said, hey, I've written about UFOs and I've gotten some incredible quotes from incredible people. I want to help Granada. I want to do a presentation, an AV presentation, and I'm going to bring all of these credible people, scientists, Jacques Vallée, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, um, these military witnesses to the UN and show them videos and to demonstrate that this is a real thing to help Granada and Eric Gary move this subject forward. Jacques Vallée was part of that. And he addressed the United Nations in 1978. Vallée argued that the lack of serious investigation into the UFO phenomena, coupled with its popularity, has created the quote-unquote expectation of space visitors, unquote. I think that's a great comment, the expectation of space visitors. He wrote, this belief has been nurtured by the lack of serious attention given to the genuine reports of UFOs, and it is creating new religions, cultural and political concepts of which science has taken little notice. Valet warned, the belief in eminence of UFO contact is an indication of a widening gap between the public and science, end quote. This statement's really important, and I and I love it for a couple reasons. First of all, that gap between the public and science, that gap has gotten really wide. Um, as someone who reports on science and talks with scientists and astronauts, huge concern. That is the number one concern in science right now, and I don't think the public knows how concerned the scientific community is. Fundamentally terrified at this issue. Because of this gap between the public and science, science is being thrown out the window. People not wearing masks and dying. The lack of us, this problem between the public and science is literally at the root of now hundreds of thousands of people dying in this country. It's one of my major concerns and really, to be honest, my major inspiration in getting involved in this topic is not just for scientific community to look into this, but for the public to re-recognize the importance of science and how science can do things like save lives. Um, I think that's really important what he says there, but also when he talks about the expectation of space visitors, that expectation that people have is what can be exploited for people to create cults. What we traditionally know is kind of a negative or um, people who are creating these followings for reasons that are not positive, that are completely selfish. Um, and Jacques Vallée was exactly right. As we've just reviewed, a lot of what he said is what has happened. 
And it's unfortunate because I think if they would have listened to Valet, um, it would have been better. What resulted in the UN um, resolution? It didn't wasn't a resolution. They finally passed a what was called a decision, which just is kind of a just saying, okay, we acknowledge this is a thing. And they said, well, we'll send this to the space committee and any member nations um, can send their UFO information to the UN if they like. As far as I am aware, nobody ever did that. And it all died on the vine when later in 78, or it might've been in 79, um, Sir Eric Gary was deposed. There was a coup in Granada. He was well-loved, well-respected. The country was proud of him taking on this UFO issue. There's even a stamp collection out there and everything. So he, at least there is this decision out there in the UN it's passed that anybody member country can send uh, their UFO reports to the UN, but the UN isn't saying they'll do anything with them at this point. Maybe one day that'll change. So Jacques Vallée was in the beginning, you know, as usual, thinking extremely intelligently about this topic and warning people, the leaders, the dangers of not taking this topic seriously. And I believe that, you know, his warnings have should have been heeded because he's exactly right. That's what happened. Finally, I think this is this is my last uh, second to last slide. Because I think this is what's really important for people to understand is that this isn't going away by any means. Um, of course, like I said earlier, when I put this talk together, you know, seven or so years ago, uh, it really was in question. People really poo-pooed this topic a lot. Um, and my message was, don't worry, this this topic is not only not going away, it's going to grow in popularity as time goes on. And here's proof of that right here. Um, when asked if people believe in aliens, this is from that Servada survey that we looked at earlier. And you'll see this on every survey out there and you can find others, but they'll all say this. So here's first, the people who said, I'm not sure. The, the least amount of people that said they weren't sure was the 13 to 17 year old group. Um, the most are 40 and over. That's like my group, bunch of nuggleheads, man. Most of them are like, I'm not sure if there's aliens out there. Not very smart dudes. Science says they're out there. They're out there. They're, the mathematically it's impossible that they're not. That would be a miracle if there's not ET life out there. But here's more significant. Who said no? Which age group was the most likely to say no? My age group, 40 and over. Um, but who was the least likely to say no? 13 to 17. And then finally, the most important one, who was out there to say yes? Overwhelmingly, almost 60% of 13 to 17-year-olds who are now in their 20s said yes. There is ET life out there. And that correlated with age. So in other words, the older you are, the least likely you are to say, yes, there are aliens out there. What does that mean? That this is just growing in popularity. As these 18, 17 year olds, 20 year olds, you know, grow older, um, become more influential and become the leaders. We're going to have a majority of people who do believe there is life out there. Um, and so this topic is not going away. 
The younger generations are more apt to believe in extraterrestrials, so the public's fascination with this topic is not decreasing. It's prevalent in our culture. Uh, prevalency in our culture um, will then also most likely be mirrored in our religious and beliefs and our worldviews. So finally, here's the final page, people. The public's fascination. Look at that. Jesus has his own UFO. I thought Corrado Maldu Balducci said that he didn't need one. The public's fascination with extraterrestrials is not fading. Carl Jung, um, the famous psychologist, felt that UFOs are like modern-day angels and serve a similar psychological need in that, um, you know, the angels are demons. When we look for a supernatural angel or demon or answer, we look towards aliens. I'm not saying, nor was Carl Jung saying that there's not aliens out there. He's just saying that not only, well, the, the possibility, and I would even go so far as to say the likelihood of aliens being out there um, has also had this effect where the idea of aliens has also served a psychological need that we have replacing that that idea of angels and demons for many or other supernatural forces like the jinn you hear that um or uh, in the middle east or other supernatural forces now we're calling them aliens and uh that will continue you know as that idea is prevalent um, would answers from the scientific community curb these burgeoning alternative ideas or would they only supplement their ongoing development? That's the question. So even if we had science, you know, looking more into this, would it curb, you know, kind of these culture or more fringe kind of I religions? I think it would in that um, – just people knowing the information that I've shared in this lecture, I think will change their perspective in that you don't have to worship aliens. You can still, you know, worship whoever you worship um, and incorporate the belief in, in alien life in that. I think that's an idea that is still foreign and people aren't there. But if the topic became more mainstream, then people would realize this is just another scientific topic. This isn't something that I have to fundamentally change my worldview on necessarily. Um, it's something that I can have an interest in or just know science is looking into this and that's great. Um, but it doesn't have to be as big of a, you know, a thing, I guess. It doesn't have to be as big of a mystery or as foreign or hidden or um, occult as it is. Either way, it's clear that just as UFOs and extraterrestrials have become uh, a more prevalent topics, they are also becoming more integrated into our traditional and newly emerging belief systems. So as we do build belief systems, you know, which humans are prone to do um, because this is, you know, Aliens and UFOs are kind of like this big mystery, this big modern technological mystery. Um, they're being incorporated in these belief systems, whether they be mythological or supernatural or, or otherwise. So, Gas Mass says, I like to worship Gaia when I feel the need to worship. And that's kind of interesting. I would even say, you know, I'm definitely, I subscribe to the philosophies of Buddhism. And I call it a philosophy because I 
there isn't really a supernatural aspect to my belief um, for full disclosure. And so I do, when I meditate or seek to calm myself, try to connect with the planet. So I get that. Um, John Lindy says he worships Rick and Morty. You're not the only one. A lot of people, uh, especially if you're in 20s, uh, feel that way. But um, yeah, I guess what I just find fascinating about all of this it's, is it's not as weird that this topic is so prevalent in our culture in today's world, given, you know, the recent news of the last three years, but it was seven years ago. And really, now that I think about it, all of the predictions I've made in this talk are all coming true. You know, it's becoming more of a prevalent thing. And so I think that we're going to see more of these developing of these religions, more of traditional religions talking about this topic and incorporating this topic. Um, are there any questions before we end this? Because we're about done then. Let me look through here. Oh, Adastra wants off this rock. It's it's a nice rock. It's not the the planet's fault. It's the inhabitants that can be kind of a bunch of knuckleheads, if you ask me. Bunch of goofy, hairless monkeys. Um, so I think... That is about all. I don't see any other big questions, so we'll kind of wrap it up. I hope you all really enjoyed this talk. I, I think it's you know some important information, especially right now with Christmas coming, the holidays. Uh, you know, in the holidays we reflect on religion. Uh, of course, at the end of the year we reflect on our thoughts and what the future will be like in the future, uh, or you know, in the coming year. So I think this is all the type of information that we all have to kind of um, keep in mind and be wary of um, as we kind of just face the new modern world. This is the future um, and how the, the people's brains will work in the future. Thank you all very, very much who are saying kind things. I'm going to keep this talk up. I think this talk is important because I think a lot of people right now are like seeing the news about this UAP task force and everything. And they're like, Asking the question, shit, can, is it okay for me to believe in aliens? I'm a good Christian. I'm a good, you know, um, Mormon. Can I believe in it? And so this is the kind of whole thing, you know, you can point people to and say, hey, mom, you know, Father Jones isn't going to get mad at you for believing in aliens. Check this information out. So um, hopefully it'll help. I'm going to leave this lecture up for free, potentially indefinitely, at least through the holidays. Um, because I think it's just great information for people to share. And of course, my other last Rojas reports will be going behind the paywall here soon, but it's really cheap. If you go hit that join button down there, you'll see it's not very much, a couple bucks a month to be able to get access to the archives. And that really helps out um, to keep all of this going. I know I'm sporadic, but I've just got so much going on that, and I want to bring you all information, but in order to do it, I'm going to have to do it in this sporadic way. So um, hopefully this just isn't intolerable to any of you. Of course, these are all recorded, so you can watch them whenever you want. It might be hard to get in here live, but what can you do? Um, thank you guys so much, uh, for joining and, uh, I hope you enjoy, uh, tomorrow I'll have the podcast. So I'll be back with Martin Willis and we'll talk about some of the UFO news from the week. So do keep an eye out. That'll be about midday tomorrow, probably about 
2 p.m. Uh, 1 or 2 p.m. Pacific or Mountain Time. That's what we've been shooting for. So um, thanks, guys. I hope you have a great uh, rest of your day. Hopefully, I'll see some of you tomorrow. If not, uh, and if I don't see you next week, because, you know, the holidays are coming up, I'm not going to really have time to do much next week uh, with UFOs and stuff. But I do have a lot of more really cool stuff upcoming, some really important topics that I want to tackle. I'll also do more talks like this. Um, I've still got more to do. But uh, you all have a wonderful day, and we will talk to you all later. Bye, everybody. Happy holidays.